This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. But our series is entitled Longing for the Savior, and today's message is entitled Preparing the World for the Messiah. And uh, I'd like for you to take your Bibles today and turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. And uh, we're going to look at verse number 15 uh, in just a few moments. I want to give you time to find it. You don't have to look very hard for this one. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. And I want to read this passage of Scripture as we talk about preparing the world for the Messiah. Genesis, of course, is written by Moses. And the word says, And I will put enmity, and that word also uh, in the Greek means enemy. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel, preparing the world for the Messiah. It's hard to believe that we have already come to the place and point and time where we are focusing our attention on Christmas. And as we do this, we're going to be looking at some unconventional Christmas texts over the next several weeks. And so we're not going to be predominantly in Luke chapter 2 or Isaiah 53 or Matthew chapter 1 where we are more familiar with the Christmas story. And it's not because we don't love those texts. They're precious texts. We truly love them and in no doubt, we're going to give reference to those texts throughout this particular series, Longing for the Savior. But there's a great prequel, I think, to these incredible scriptures. And this year, at the beginning of the Christmas season, as we focus our attention on this thought, Longing for the Savior, I want to go all the way back to the beginning. And throughout these three specific sermons, I want to look at the first five books of the Bible, which, by the way, is called the Pentateuch. And I want us to look at the themes of these first five books of the Scriptures and the foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I'm convinced that there are a lot of preachers who do not preach very much from the Old Testament anymore. Uh, and I will tell you that it takes a great deal of study to preach from the New Testament, by the way, if you're going to preach it correctly. But it takes a whole lot of study and depth and preparation if we're going to speak out of the Old Testament. Much of the Old Testament is hard to understand. And 
uh, there are a lot of things that are given to us as examples, pictures, and so forth, the foreshadowing of things to come, the foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here is a great spiritual truth that I want to share with you today. Many of the circumstances that God brought his people through in the Old Testament and the means that he would bring them through, it would prepare the world for the longing of the Savior. It would prepare the world for the coming of the Messiah. And I want to be clear this morning that both Old and New Testaments work in complete harmony with one another. Please get this truth. Both in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, we find the genealogy of Jesus. Now, I, I want to reemphasize something to you. And I understand this, and I understood this when the Lord gave me these three sermons when we put it together the way that we did. I understand that because the Old Testament is a complicated book to preach from, it's certainly a complicated book to understand. And what I'm going to share with you today does require your utmost undivided attention. So I want you to stay with me. In the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke, we find the genealogy of Jesus. And that is important for two reasons. One, because God promised that the Messiah would come through the line of Abraham and David. The other reason is the connecting element of the Old Testament. And so for a quick moment today, I want us to think about this. I want us to see how both of these books in the Gospels and how they recorded the genealogies of Jesus, how they begin and how they end. And so I've listed in your bulletin today, Matthew chapter 1, and I've listed verses 1 through 6, but we're not going to read all six verses. It's just the first one that I want to read. And so if you'll look with me in Matthew chapter 1, we'll get back to Genesis 3 where we're taking the cornerstone of our message from and we'll get back to that in just a moment. But I want you to see something in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. And we're talking about the genealogies of Jesus in both Matthew and Luke. And I want us to see how they begin and how they end. Because in the book of Matthew, the genealogies work backwards. For example, in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1, the Bible says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. And I would encourage you to read all of the begats from verse 2 right on through verse 6. But then in the gospel of Luke chapter 3, we see how Luke works forward with the generations, the genealogies. In Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse number 34, the word says, which was the son of Jacob, which was the son of Isaac, which was the son of Abraham, which was the son of Thara, and which was the son of Nacar. Go all the way down to verse 38. 
which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. And so when you apply careful study to this, you see clearly that even in the genealogies of Christ that we find in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, the writers are telling the stories and reminding us of the ways that God has prepared the world to receive the Messiah. But not only do the gospel writers link Jesus back to the Old Testament, but even Jesus himself did that. I want you to see what Jesus said in Luke 24 and verse number 44, and I've given you the references in your bulletin today, verses 44 through 49, but we're only going to take time to read verse number 44, Luke 24 and verse 44. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, look at this, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And so in these words of Jesus, he proclaims that the gospel, his life, his ministry is the quintessence or in other words, a perfect example of the Mosaic law and the prophetic promises that we find in the scriptures. And the psalmistic worship that can only be seen in the Old Testament if he opens our minds to make his mysteries known unto us. And so Jesus clearly articulated the center and heart of the Old Testament was the foreshadowing of his person, his coming, and his ministry. If you remember, after the resurrection of Jesus while walking on the road to Emmaus, Jesus joined in a conversation about his life and about his death. And in Luke 24, verse number 25, here's another scripture I want you to see. We're already in Luke 24, but I just want to mention verse 25 to you. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Well, let's read verse 27 as well. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So this is why we're going to devote a few weeks of the Christmas story to the Old Testament and the coming of the Messiah. God chose to set the stage for this in the Old Testament, and I think it's worthy that even though we're very fond and familiar of the traditional scriptures that we read at Christmas time, and we will make reference to them. But I want us to see how God chose to set the stage for the coming of the Messiah in the Old Testament. So I want us to look again in Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read beginning in verse 13 through 15. 
And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shall thou eat all the days of thy life. And our text verse this morning, verse number 15, and I will put enmity, and again that word in the Greek means enemy, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the first messianic prophecy in the scripture about the coming of the Messiah. Now, you can only imagine the hope and the joy these words brought to Adam and Eve as God declared this prophecy, I'm going to send the Messiah. I am going to send the Savior. I'll explain the scripture to you in, in just a moment. But you can only imagine after everything that Adam and Eve had experienced and after everything that they had gone through, how these words, these prophetic words, encouraged them. I mean, you think about this. After the fall, after they were so beaten down, they were broken, they were shamed, and most of all, they were very guilty of what had just taken place. The devil had greatly deceived them. And let me pause and say this, the devil will greatly deceive you. He will greatly deceive me. He is a master deceiver. He's a thief and he's a murderer. The word says he's a liar. But as God had a habit of conversating with Adam and Eve in the garden, they begin to listen to him. You think about this now. After the transgression, they begin to listen as God tells the devil, that there's coming one that would turn the tables for all eternity and would ultimately defeat him forever. And so if you're going to follow this message today in outline form, I want you to look at number one. Point number one, because Genesis prepares us for the one who will defeat the devil and his evil once and for all. But waiting... And we all have a bad habit of being impatient at times. Waiting for this promise to be fulfilled would be incredibly difficult. People wanted it right away. And that's how we are made. We want things right away. We don't want to wait in line. We, we, don't, we don't want to do it. And by the way, now that Christmas is coming, at a very rapid speed, you're going to need patience. You're going to need patience when you're pulling into the parking lot and there's one spot left to the sidewalk near the door. And Richard Petty comes sliding in there right in front of you. You're going to need patience for that. You're going to need patience when you're standing there with your grocery cart or your your 
clothing cart or whatever cart it is you're pushing, and you've you've rotated hips three or four times and you get up to the counter and the tape runs out. You're going to need patience when you're reaching for that last minute item and somebody grabs it in front of you. Don't think those things don't happen because, listen, they do. They happen to me. They'll happen to you. This is the season where you're going to need patience. What Jesus said to the devil and Adam and Eve are listening to his prophetic words. What God is saying to the devil and Adam and Eve is attentively listening. They, they definitely wanted the remedy. They wanted the Messiah right away. They began the process to patiently wait for the coming of the Messiah the first time. And now for a little over 2,000 years, you and I have been patiently waiting for the Messiah to come the second time. And by the way, he is coming. In just a few weeks, it's hard to believe it, I'm going to begin a seven-week Bible prophecy series in January. I love preaching on Bible prophecy. Now we are waiting for the Son of God to come. We're waiting for his second coming. These people in the Old Testament, they, they were patiently waiting for the Messiah to come the first time. And as I thought about that, perhaps every time a male child was born, Adam and Eve could have possibly thought, maybe this is the one. But as time went on, you know the story, they were greatly disappointed. And then perhaps in the process of time, all eyes maybe were focused on Enoch. Maybe there were people who had surmised that Enoch was the Messiah. He was the promised one. Because in Genesis 5 verse 21, the word says this, and Enoch lived 60 and five years and began Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. But time would prove that Enoch was not the Messiah as well. Then came Noah. Maybe there were people who thought that Noah was the promised one of Genesis 3.15. And the word says that he was a righteous man for a while. But he became a disappointment. And he became a man subject to death as we all are. Then came Abraham. Then came Joseph. Then came Moses. Then came Joshua. And then came all the judges and all of the prophets. And every single one of these men. And Deborah, she was a judge as well. All of these individuals, they fell short and died. And so all throughout the Old Testament, as the scriptures promised, for the one who would come to deliver humanity from the clutches of Satan, God's people would have to watch and wait. 
Watch and wait. But let's go back to Genesis 3 and verse 15. God told the devil, he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So God did give a small glimpse into who they should be looking for. Genesis 3.15, if we look at it carefully in this promise of God, God was describing how that Eve would bear children. And through the process of time, after many were born, and look very carefully, he said, the seed of woman. And if you studied that very carefully, the promise is a little strange. It's a little odd for two particular reasons. One, women do not have seed. You studied the scripture. And number two, women were not typically, normally mentioned in genealogies. So most of the time, most of the time, everything is traced back to the father. This is why, by the way, Sarah tried to give Abraham a son through Hagar. But here in Genesis 3.15, I want to read it again. It's a difficult verse. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, God does not mention anything in this prophetic scripture about the man. Stay with me this morning. And this is why we have the first promise of this miraculous birth, the prophetic prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. Do you remember the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so as the Messiah would come, he would also have to die. And the seed of Eve all the way down to the Virgin Mary would ultimately crush the head of Satan. Although he would strike his heel like a snake before being defeated on the cross, Satan did bruise the heel of the Lord with the temporary venom of the cross. But when Jesus rose from the dead, can somebody say amen? He ultimately crushed the head of Satan. This is what the prophecy means. This is the first prophecy in the scripture about the coming of the Messiah. And if you look in Genesis chapter 3, I want to read for you verse 7, verse 10, and verse 21. In verse 7, the Bible says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed. Look at this now. Underline. If you're accustomed to writing in your Bible, I want you to underline this word or these words, fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Verse 10, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And then verse 21, unto Adam also to his wife did the Lord make, look at this now, coats of skins 
and clothed them. You see, Adam and Eve, they were ashamed about their sin and they were cloaking themselves together with fig leaves, with vegetation. They're trying to make themselves or they're trying to manage their sin all by themselves. But God has another solution to this problem. The word says that God covers them, but not with vegetation. The word said God covered them with skins. And by the way, we are not told specifically in the word what type of innocent animal had to die to clothe these guilty too. But Isaiah and Paul describes the substitutionary pattern, I think, in a way to where we get the idea. In Isaiah chapter 61, the prophet said this, and I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he, look at this, hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Paul had this to say about it. In Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so another glaring foreshadowing of God's preparation, I think we can also see in the story of the flood because God was saying in this story he was going to judge the world because of sin. In Genesis 6, 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know the story God told Noah to build an ark and to make one huge door for it, only one. In Genesis 6, 16, a window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories thou shalt make it. And so the point is that there was the door was the only way that any living thing could avoid God's judgment, the door. And we all know that it was by faith that Noah and his family entered the ark. The second thing that I want you to see this morning, if you're following with me in your outline, is that Genesis prepares us for the exclusive salvation in Christ and how in him we are eternally secure. One of my favorite passages of scripture is John chapter 14 and verse number 6 where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. In John 10, 9, he said, I am the door. Don't forget what we talked about now with Noah and the ark and the flood. God said, there's only one door. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13, the word says, In whom ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And so, listen carefully. 
Genesis this morning, it overflows with the great promises and the foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah. In Genesis 12, God promises Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. In Genesis chapter 15, God promises Abraham a son. In Genesis chapter 22, God promised Abraham that he would provide the sacrifice. And so lastly, number three this morning, Genesis prepares us for the ultimate sacrifice of God's only begotten son, the Messiah. And there's a specific reason for where God told Abraham to offer Isaac, by the way. In Genesis 22, verse number two, <clears throat> the Bible says, and he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. Every time I read Genesis 22, I... I emphasize the play on words that God used. Take now thy son, thy only son, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountains which I tell thee of. Now, the location of this event was significant because this place would soon eventually be called Jerusalem. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse number 1, they'll get the scripture here on the screen for you. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of the Ornan and the Jebusite. So I want you to see this now in the story of Genesis how it relates to the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, what the Messiah would do. I want you to see in the story, I want you to look at Isaac carrying the wood on his back up the hill. In Genesis 22, verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both went, or went both of them together. Now I want you to picture this now. Jesus outside of the city walls is carrying the wood on his back. He's carrying the cross upon his back. John 19 verse 17. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is in the Hebrew called Golgotha. And so listen now for centuries. The Israelites, they were pointing to this hill. They were pointing to this place called Moriah. And they were believing in the future provision. Going all the way back to Genesis 3 when God told the devil, there is coming one who is going to defeat you once and for all. They were believing in a future provision, a future atonement. And for centuries... The Old Testament saints, they saw the Messiah. They believed that he would come, the Christ would come, God's Redeemer in this event, and set their hopes and faith in him. I want our musicians to come forward because in this particular passage of Scripture, we get to the Christmas story about longing for the Savior. We see the prophetic promise of his coming. 
we understand that he did in Bethlehem of Judea. 4,000 years after the promise was made. Think about the people who had to be patient for 4,000 years. But the scripture says that he did come. Probably every Jewish woman anticipated maybe he's the one who would give birth. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one. 4,000 years of waiting. But he came. And I will tell you this, and I want to reemphasize this again, just as the prophets foretold that the Messiah would come the first time. Jesus himself said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Please don't neglect this. As promised, God delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and laid him in a manger. And just as God has promised that the Messiah is coming again, he truly, surely is. After everything God has done from Genesis to Revelation to help us to know him, to love him, to help us to have a relationship with Jesus, the Messiah. He gave everything he had, the best of everything he had to give us eternal life and a home in heaven. And I would pray, if you're watching today, I hope that I have your undivided attention. Listen, Jesus is coming again. The Messiah is coming. He's not coming to a cross. He's not coming to a crown of thorns. He's not coming to be crucified between two thieves. I'm so thankful that I can tell you now that he will never ever be crucified again. But he's coming in power. He's coming in glory. And the word says that the trump of God will wake the dead and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them and will meet the Lord in the air. I beg you, listen, if you're not staying in tune and in touch with the signs of the times, I encourage you to do that because this world is hanging on by a thread. The Messiah is coming. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.